Wow, what a powerful time of worship we just had uh, together. I mean, I hope you guys watching online felt that the same way we, we experienced that together in the room. Um, man, it's so great to have you guys with us. Uh, so great to be able to gather together as the church, especially this first week with the block open again. Um, just seeing, taking these sort of baby steps back. Uh, we're in a series, ever since we began to regather again, we've been working through a series called Come Back Stronger. And we've been talking about this strange, uh, disorienting season we're in. How do we come back stronger as the church? So we've talked about prayer over planning. We've talked about them over us, bridges over barriers, several things. Today, we're going to talk about rhythm over random. That's what we're talking about today. How do we come back stronger as the church? Rhythm over random. Uh, I'll set it up this way. Every summer, my family and I get the chance to go and spend some time at a friend's cottage. And uh, we have four boys, teenagers at this point, and one of my boys' favorite things to do when we're at this cottage is to take the pontoon boat out into the middle of the lake, put down the anchor, and then just jump off the pontoon boat into the lake. Anybody else done that sort of thing at some point in their life? Uh, my, my boys love to do that. And so a, a few weeks ago, we were doing just that. We were out in the middle of the lake. The anchor was down. And my boys are jumping, like doing cannonballs, doing dives and flips and stuff off the pontoon boat. And my boys are, uh, how do I say this delicately? They are uh, of a hefty nature. Is that a good way to say that? And there's some big boys, and so the boat is, you know, doing this as they're jumping off the boat. And so at one point, we're all in the water. Nobody's on the boat. We're all swimming around in the water. And I have this moment where I look over at the boat, and I, there's this, this momentary thought. This question says, is the boat a little further away from us? But I didn't do anything about it. We kept swimming. We kept having a good time. A few minutes go by. We're, nobody's paying attention. Finally, I look over again, and now the boat is like way far away from us. And we're in the middle of the water, and the boat is just, it's gone. It's, and I realize instantaneously what's happened, right? With all the jumping that we, they've been doing, they dislodged the anchor, and now the boat is just drifting, that's what it's doing. The wind and the waves are taking it. It's just drifting. And if something doesn't happen quickly, it's on a crash collision course, probably for somebody's dock is where it's going to happen. And so now I'm frantically swimming as hard as I can to try to get to the boat, climb up the ladder and arrest the drift, stop the drift from happening. For, for me, that is such a metaphor of the season we've been in. In so many areas of our lives, COVID-19 has dislodged the anchor of our routines and our rhythms and our practices and our, the daily kind of schedule we've been in, and we have just been sort of drifting. It's affected people's mental health. It's, it's affected people's relationships and their family. Uh, during this season we've been in, uh, many of us have gained weight Sorry. Uh, I, I, yes, I went there. Uh, some of us have started drinking more. Um, some of us have gone back to bad habits that we worked very hard in our lives to kick. Uh, some of us have stopped leaning into good routines and good rhythms and habits like, you know, exercising, eating healthy. And then I would also say, uh, for many of us, we've stopped attending church regularly and engaging in a small group. And that's affecting our lives. And so the, the question I want to ask today, or the statement I want to make rather, that's just true about all of us in humanity is that we don't drift into better behaviors. We tend to drift into bad habits. 
<laughs> that's true of me. In the last five, six months, that's true of you. That's true of all of us in our world. We don't tend to drift on our own into like better behaviors. We tend to sort of slowly drift into bad habits. It's just part of human nature. Let me explain what I mean. Nobody, and it affects every area of our life, nobody plans to find themselves living paycheck to paycheck and stressing out about money. Nobody plans that. That's what happens when we just kind of drift financially, right? Nobody plans to become overweight and have poor health and die early and miss out on the grandkids. Nobody sits down and says, that's my goal. I'm going to plan to do that. What happens, the way that happens is we just sort of drift in that area of our lives. Nobody plans to become addicted and lose their marriage, lose the trust and the respect of their children. Nobody plans that. It just happens as we drift. And I would say the same is true spiritually in our lives. That's not just true physically or relationally or, you know, in another way, financially. It's true in our walk with Jesus and our relationship to the church as well. So, so here's a statement I want to make and I want you to hear. If you are not intentionally ordering your life to grow spiritually, you are unintentionally ordering your life to drift. Just like that pontoon boat. I'll say it again. It's that important to hear that. If you are not intentionally ordering your life to grow spiritually, you are unintentionally ordering your life to drift. The anchor's gotten ripped up in this season and we're drifting. Barna recently, uh, actually last month, they released a study that they had done over uh, the first few months of the shutdown. And that what they found was that one in three practicing Christians has stopped attending church during COVID-19. One in three practicing Christians who are connected in regular rhythm, regular routine of attending church, connecting with others, has just completely stopped in the last few months during COVID-19. Not because they lost their faith in Jesus, not because their beliefs changed or they don't believe in Jesus anymore the way we were just singing about him. It's because they just drifted. They just got out of the habit. Everything got disrupted in life, and so the boat is just sort of drifting, and it's on a crash collision course right now. Because we don't drift into better behaviors, we tend to drift into worse things, bad habits. And so the question I want to ask this morning with this teaching is, how do we come back as the church with habits that help us grow spiritually? Just like in, in everything, that's the way we grow spiritually is we put regular rhythms and disciplines and habits into our lives that help us layer by layer, bit by bit, step by step, day by day, grow spiritually over time. How do we come back as a church with habits that help us grow spiritually? So I'll tell you where we're going this morning. We're going to go to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me to, to Hebrews uh, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. And let me set up the stage a little bit. To, we've been studying the early church throughout this series. And the book of Hebrews was written during that era of the early church. And what's strange is we actually don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We, a lot of the other books of the New Testament, we know exactly. They identify themselves. We have no idea who actually wrote the book of Hebrews. But I tell you what, she was brilliant. I mean, really smart. 
That's actually one of the theories that because women weren't, uh, you know, usually uh, credited for things like that, that it could have been written by a woman. But basically, the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians in and around Jerusalem, right where the early church started. And what's happening to these Jewish Christians in the first century church is they are experiencing pressure. They are experiencing temptation to basically drift away from Jesus and to drift back to Judaism. From their families, from the society they live in, even probably in some way, you know, the way they made their living, the way they provided for their families, there was pressure to just sort of pull the anchor up and drift away from Jesus. And so what the writer of Hebrews does is the writer of Hebrews walks through all these comparisons between the old system of Judaism and comparisons to Jesus. And basically the whole point is Jesus is better. Like what we were just singing about, uh, the powerful name of Jesus, that everything in the Old Testament, the law, the, the prophets, the sacrificial system, the temple, the priesthood, it all pointed to the person of Jesus. It all found its fulfillment in Jesus. And so the writer is saying, Jesus is better. Do not forsake the better thing, Jesus, to drift back to the old system, to drift back to these old patterns of that were just a shadow and a foretaste of what was to come. That's the whole point. And so the writer just makes comparison after comparison. And finally, you get to chapter 10, and there's sort of this culmination point in chapter 10. And that's the passage we're going to look at today in verse 19. Um, this is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, because of all that, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, anchored in, rooted in. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. The writer says, can you believe it? Some people just have stopped meeting together. They've just kind of drifted away. Don't do that, he says, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The day there is referring to the, the moment when Christ comes back. And so the writer is encouraging and challenging these first century Jewish Christians at, right in this area of around Jerusalem and saying, don't give in to the pressure. Don't allow yourself to just drift back into old patterns, the old way of doing things. Their drift was toward comfort, toward convenience, toward safety, toward what, whatever would make life easier. And so what the writer is doing here is trying to remind them of their need for each other. We need each other as the church. In fact, the, the logic of the writer is really simple. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this statement down. We tend to drift spiritually when we're not connected relationally. Man, if I could just get all of us to understand that in our spiritual lives. There's no silver bullet, no magic, you know, potion. It's we just drift when we're not connected 
relationally. We drift spiritually when we're not connected relationally. Our natural drift as human beings is not toward community. Our natural drift as human beings is toward isolation, it's toward despair. In, in some cases, our, our natural drift is toward addiction. And here's, let me tell you who also knows that that's true. The enemy of your soul knows that that's true too. Our enemy, his tactics are to isolate us, to, to kind of in guilt and shame help us become more and more separated from relationships, the body of Christ, the, the community to which we belong. And once you're separated and isolated, you're easy prey, my friends. You're easy prey. We are built, we are made to be connected to each other in relationship. And we tend to drift spiritually when we're not connected relationally. And that's not just the negative, but on the positive side, there is just overwhelming evidence that when you're connected in relationship to a church, your spiritual growth increases. You grow spiritually. You learn more about Jesus. Your walk with Christ increases. We were designed to do this together. And the reason for that, again, this is the major shift we have to make. This is a maturity move. This is not something you, you understand probably when you first come to Christ, but as you follow Christ for a period of time, you come to a point where you realize that the church is not a place you go, but it's a body to whom you belong. That's a major shift in thinking. A church is not a building. It's not, it's not a place you go. It's actually a body to whom you belong. Jesus talked about this. Let me show you. Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying when two or three people come together online or in person, when two or three people come together in the name of Jesus, he says, there I will be with them. My presence, Jesus says, will be there when two or three of us come together in the name of Jesus. There is something we experience when we come together as the body of Christ. What we just experienced a moment ago in worship, and the reason I look at the camera and I say, man, I hope you guys felt that at, at watching online at home, is something powerful happens. There's something about the nature and the person and the presence of Jesus that we only experience when we come together as the body of Christ. I'm not saying that you don't experience him in other ways, but there's, there's something about when we come together, we experience who Jesus is in a, in a different way, in a powerful way. And that's why, to understand what a church is, a, a church is not ever centered around a building or programs, a ministries, or a mission statement, or a pastor. Churches, aren't, churches can't be centered around those things. A church is centered around the person of Jesus Christ and his body and his blood that was shed for us. That's what we're centered around. We are a community centered around a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, when you come together in my name, there am I with them. Paul takes this idea even further. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, describing the church, Paul says, And God placed all things under his, Jesus' feet, and appointed Jesus to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so the dominant metaphor in the New Testament is that the church is a body. So Jesus is the head of the church, and the church is the body of Christ. 
That's the phrase that's used over and over again. So, so maybe you've heard people talk about, maybe you've heard these phrases, uh, people will say things like, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Talking about the church. We've said that for years here at Frontline. We've talked about uh, how does God want to use you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We've said that for years. That We get that from that passage of scripture and scripture passages like that. That metaphor of Jesus is the head. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, the hands of Jesus might need some hand sanitizer right now. That may be the time we're living in, but that is still who we are. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We are the way that Jesus manifests himself and shows up. The way that people know who Jesus is, is through the body of Christ. The church isn't a place you go. It's a body to whom you belong. A few months ago, right before COVID, uh, we were notified about a family in our community. They are a family struggling financially with two kids. And mom on her way to work one morning has a horrific head-on car collision and she, she dies. And the car, their one car that they owned was totaled in the car collision where she dies. We were notified because we partner with an outreach ministry here um, connected to Northview called uh, Hand to Hand. And so they just called up and said, hey, is there anything, any way you could help this family? They don't have a car. So uh, Amanda turned and she sent, uh, our children's pastor Amanda sent out just this sort of Facebook blast to the Block Facebook page. It's just those of us who have kids in the Block, just here's, you know, uh, here's this need that's in our community. This family doesn't even attend our church. Here's this need. Can you do anything? And within minutes, a family in our church, part of the body of Christ said, hey, we have an extra car. And we were able to gift this dad, now a single dad with two young kids with a car so he can continue to go to work and continue to, uh, you know, move forward in life in the midst of this horrible, difficult time. Uh, in the midst of COVID, there was a small group, Jesse Heine, our missional pastor, was telling me about one of our small groups. Uh, in, the, in this frontline small group, there was a woman who was connected to a woman that, that, was, that she knew about through work. And apparently this woman had been married and in this very abusive relationship, abusive marriage, and two young kids, and her husband had torn apart the house, just bashed holes in the wall and created all this mess, left the plumbing. That plumbing was like a disaster in the house. And then he, he left her. So now you have this single mom with these two kids in this disaster of a house that she can't afford anymore. And so what happened is uh, this, this small group who don't even know this woman directly, they just know her through one of the members of the small group, they pool their resources together, they go to Lowe's or Home Depot or wherever you go and bought a bunch of stuff, and then the men came over and for two days they repaired all the drywall, they fixed all the plumbing, they prayed for this woman and they helped her turn her house around. She was able to sell her house and get into a better situation. Uh, there's another family in our church, uh, uh, the Scudders. Some of you know them. Rosie Scudder, uh, their youngest daughter, and right before COVID happened, she got sick one day. They took her in and quickly she got brought to the hospital and discovered there was a volleyball-sized tumor attached to her kidney. Uh, it's called a Wilms tumor is what it's called. And after removing it, she began to go through chemo treatments and then COVID happened. Right in the middle of they're taking their, their little girl in for all these chemo treatments in the hospital, COVID's happening. And, you know, now we're social distancing. Nobody can be there. We got, in the middle of COVID, we got to the point, or they got to the point where they were done with her inpatient uh, chemo treatment. And so there's this moment where they're going to come home, right, for the last time after being in the hospital for the inpatient COVID, or I'm sorry, the inpatient cancer treatments that she was going through. 
Amanda Olkenbrack, our children's pastor, woke up on that morning, saw something about it on Facebook, and she had what I would just call a prompting of the Holy Spirit. The prompting of the Holy Spirit just tapped her on the shoulder and said, hey, I wonder if you could get, because Rosie's in the block in our children's ministry, I wonder if you could just get like five or six other friends and family from Frontline to just kind of drive by her house, like make some signs and just be like, yay, because when a little girl comes home uh, from cancer treatment, somebody should celebrate that, right? Are we tracking? Is, is that true? And the morning after she put something out, like something like 50 or 60 cars came, lined up here in our parking lot and did this crazy drive-through. All the neighbors came out and watched this. It's just like, what is going on here on our street? Fox 17 News came and did a story. Because when we're celebrating something that matters, it seems like the rest of the world wants to join in. And this is the church. Do you get that? In the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a season like the one that we're living in right now, the question that people ask is, where is God? Right? Where is God when people are getting sick, when people are dying? People all around us in our world, in our community, ask that question. Where is God? Where is God when, you know, the economy crashes and people's jobs are on the line? Where is God when, you know, all this hate is being expressed, you know, all these dividing lines of politics and where is God? My, my answer to that is very simple. Whenever I hear someone ask that kind of question, my answer is, oh, God is very busy during this time. God is busy, you know, organizing like 50 cars to drive through to celebrate a little girl who's finished her cancer treatments. God is very busy reaching out to, he sees the, the single father whose wife just died in the car crash, and he, he is very busy making sure that he gives a car to that family. God, God is very, very busy when a woman is in an abusive relationship and her house is trashed, he sends people over and resources pool to fix that house and put it back together again. Are, are, you, are you with me? Are, are you with me? We are the church. We are the church and the church cannot be quarantined. The church cannot be shut down because the church isn't centered around a building or a program. The church is centered around the person of Jesus Christ and we are the church. The church doesn't exist for us. We exist for the world. And when you begin to see that, when church begins to become not just a place that you go to, but when church actually becomes a body to whom you belong, your motivation for gathering as the church changes. And no longer are you thinking about, what am I going to miss out? What am I going to miss out on if I don't go to church? What you then start to think is, what are others going to miss out on if I don't go to the church? Because we are the body. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, <laughs> It's not just about getting some good coffee when we finally open the coffee again or, you know, it's, it's not about that stuff. It's about what are others going to miss out on when we don't commit ourselves and we allow ourselves to just drift because we've lost that rhythm and that routine. Take a look again at what the writer of Hebrews says. Stir up one another to love. There's this element to this where we're called to stir one another up when we come together. Stir one another up to good deeds, or good works, I believe it is. And then lastly, encourage one another. You see, these things have nothing to do with a building. They have nothing to do with good coffee. They have nothing to do with what you're getting. 
It has everything to do with what you're giving. Now, do you get something? Do, are you brought into that love? Or uh, do, sometimes are you the recipient of good works? Some, uh, do you get encouraged? Absolutely. The church isn't a place. It's a body to whom you belong. And, and when that happens in your life, you begin to realize we are connected to one another. And that's the way we're designed. That's how we grow spiritually is when we do that. And so I'd love to just kind of point out to you the same thing that we've been talking about for years and years and years. There's nothing that I'm about to say is at all new, but I sense that we've forgotten it, that we're in a season in our, in our world where the anchor has been dislodged. Many of us are drifting spiritually, and we're forgetting it. Regular spiritual practices, regular spiritual habits that help us cultivate connection with the body of Christ and a growing, vibrant spiritual relationship are attending church at the same time every week. Discipline in a rhythm, not just random like, hey, maybe I'll catch it, I'll go back and watch the video, and then it's been seven weeks and I can't remember the last time. I, it, but attending church at the same time every week. Also, connecting in a group at the same time every week. Now here's the good news. I'm especially thinking about those of you online. Those first two things, you can, we've worked really hard to make sure you can still do that every single week online. In fact, during this season, we've upped our game. We've moved small groups online. We've moved uh, our live stream to be able to be something that you can tune in with and engage with and still be part of the body online, even if you're not able to be here physically. The, another one is serve on a ministry team on a regular basis. That one, uh, you know, is, is a little harder to find. You're, you know, the spot where God's called you to serve, but it's worth investing in that, the community and the relationships you build and the way that you're able to be used by God. And then lastly, praying for others at the same time every day. Do you have a time every day that you set aside to just be with Jesus and to just bring before Jesus others? That's what it means to be the church. These are not new. <laughs> We've talked about these for years and years and years. But when we let the anchor get dislodged and we begin to drift, we forget how important these things are. We forget how important that the, God uses these things in our lives. And so I want to just challenge us. Uh, go ahead to the next passage. Galatians 6, 9 just says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I really believe we're in a season right now of sowing in the church. And in our church, I think that's true. In the church, things have been dislodged. The anchors have been ripped up. People are hurting. People are struggling. Our world is struggling. And it's a time of sowing seed for the kingdom of God. But what's involved with that is we have to be diligent. We have to be faithful with it. We have to have regular rhythms and practices that bring us together and connect us to each other as the body of Christ. Or else we're just going to drift with the rest of the world. And if we don't give up, if we keep leaning in, I believe there is a harvest moment coming. I don't think the church is done. I don't think God is through with us yet. And we're going to keep going after it, going after lost people for Jesus until the moment where Jesus returns, to the moment when the day happens that Hebrews was talking about, and Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom here. And so we wanted to close this service by engaging in a spiritual rhythm, a spiritual practice that the church has been engaging with for centuries. In fact, since the night that Jesus was betrayed, what Jesus did on the night he was betrayed is he gathered together with his closest disciples and they were, uh, as part of a larger meal called the Seder meal or the Passover meal, Jesus took bread 
And he said, this is my body broken for you, representing the sacrifice he made on the cross. And then he took a cup and he said, this cup is my blood, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so when you walked in, hopefully if you're here in the room, you were given um, this little package, you can rip the top of it off and there's uh, a cracker or something that resembles a cracker. This ain't Panera bread, okay? (laughs) But there's a cracker and there's a small cup of juice. And if you're online, hopefully this would be the time where you would also gather whatever you've got there around you. Anything will work as long as it's, uh, you know, bread and juice of some kind. And here's what I'd like you to think about. If you came with a family, maybe you're sitting in the pods here in the room with a family that you came with. As we sing this next song, just take a moment and pray together maybe. And then take the bread and take the cup whenever you are ready together as a family. If you came by yourself, maybe use this as a time to just reflect and as a time to just let the words of this song wash over you as you reflect and then take the elements whenever you're ready. And if you're online in the same way, I would would love for you to just take a moment. And the question I want us all to wrestle with in the room and online during this song as we sing is, where have I drifted spiritually? In the last five to six months, where have I drifted spiritually? Where have the anchors gotten ripped up And today is the day we stop the drift. Where do you just need to say today as we take this cracker, as we take this juice, Lord, the drift stops now. It's time to be all in, to be faithful. If anyone doesn't have uh, um, the the container, you can raise your hand. We've got a couple people walking around. Um, They'd be happy to, to help you. But I'd love to say a prayer. And then let's just take a moment, reflect, and then take the elements whenever you're ready. Would you pray with me? So Lord Jesus, we do right now recenter ourselves around you. We don't find our answers to life's greatest meaning and questions in the world of the media or politics or education or uh, the CDC. (laughs) We find it in you, Jesus. And so would you again remind us of what you did for us on the cross? Would you remind us that all the things that we fill our lives with Ultimately, we're hungry for the same thing, and it's only found in you, that you, Jesus, are the greatest need of our world, the greatest need of our lives, and everything, every longing, everything that we struggle with is found in you. So now, God, again, wherever we've been drifting, wherever we've kind of found ourselves drifting, it's, this has been a season of drifting. Um, this morning, we surrender ourselves afresh to you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you invade this place? And would you reconnect us to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus again? Not just for what we get out of it, but for what you've called us to, what you've called us to give. And in the risen and powerful and mighty name of Jesus, everyone said.